Section 5 of The Natural History, Volume 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Natural History, Volume 5 by Pliny the Elder. Translated by John Bostock and Henry Thomas Riley. Section 5, Book 21, Chapters 60 to 71. Chapter 60. Plants classified according to their leaves. Plants which never lose their leaves. Plants which blossom a little at a time. The heliotropium and the adiantum. The remedies derived from which will be mentioned in the following book. The leaves of plants, as well as those of trees, differ from one another in the length of the foodstock, and in the breadth or narrowness of the leaf and the angles and indentations perceptible on its edge. Other differences are also constituted in respect of their smell and blossom. The blossom remains on longer in some of those plants which flower only a little at a time, such as the ocimum, the heliotropium, the epach, and the onochilis, for example. Many of these plants, the same as certain among the trees, never lose their leaves, the heliotropium, the adiantum, and the polium, for instance. Chapter 61. The various kinds of aired plants. The staniops, the alopecoros, the stelephoros, ortex, or plantago, the thriales. The eared plants form another variety. Among them we find the synops, the alopecoros, the stelephoros, also known to some persons as the ortex, and to others as the plantago, of which last we shall have occasion to speak more at length, among the medicinal plants, and the thriales. The olopecoros among these has a soft ear and a thick down, not unlike a fox tail, in fact, to which resemblance it owes its name. The plant most like it is the stelephoros, where it knots that it blossoms only a little at a time. In the cichorium and similar plants, the leaves are near the ground, the buds springing from the root just after the rising of the vergilia. Chapter 62. The Perdicium, the Ornitholgale. It is not in Egypt only that the Perdicium is eaten. It owes its name to the partridge, which bird is extremely fond of digging it up. The roots of it are thick and very numerous, and so too with the ornithogale, which has a tender white stalk and root half a foot in thickness, bulbous, soft, and provided with three or four other offsets attached to it. It is generally used boiled in pottage. Chapter 63. Plants which only make their appearance at the end of a year. Plants which begin to blossom at the top. Plants which begin to blossom at the lower part. It is a remarkable thing that the herb lotus and the agulops never make their appearance above ground till the end of a year after the seed has been sown. The anthemis, too, offers the singular peculiarity that it begins to blossom at the top, while in all the other plants which flower gradually, it is at the lower part that the blossom first makes its appearance. Chapter 64. The Lapa a plant which produces within itself the apuntia, which throws out a root from the leaf. 
in the lapa too which clings so tenaciously there is this remarkable peculiarity that within it there grows a flower which does not make its appearance but remains concealed and there produces the seed like those among the animals which produce within themselves in the vicinity of opus there grows a plant which is very pleasant eating to man and the leaf of which a most singular thing gives birth to a root by means of which it reproduces itself chapter sixty five the lacion the hondrilia the picris which remains in flower the whole year through the yasion has a single leaf only but that so folded and involved as to have all the appearance of being several in number the hondrilla is bitter and the juice of the root is of an acrid taste the aphids too is bitter and so is the plant called picris which also remains in flower the whole year through it is to this bitterness that it is indebted for its name chapter sixty six plants in which the blossom makes its appearance before the stem plants in which the stem appears before the blossom plants which blossom three times in the year the peculiarities also of the squill and saffron deserve remark for while all other plants put forth their leaves first and then a round stem these show the stem before the leaf makes its appearance in the saffron however the blossom is protruded by the stem but in the squill it is the stem that first makes its appearance and then the flower emerges from it this plant blossoms three times in the year indicating thereby as previously stated the three seasons of ploughing chapter sixty seven the cypiros the season some authors reckon among the bulbs the root of the cypiros or gladiolus it is a pleasant food and when boiled and kneaded up with bread makes it more agreeable to the taste and at the time more weighty not unlike it in appearance is the plant known to us as the thesian but it is of an acrid flower chapter sixty eight the asphodel or royal spear the anthericus or albacus other plants of the bulbous kind differ in the leaf that of the asphodel is long and narrow that of the squill broad and supple and the form of that of the gladiolus is bespoken by its name the asphodel is used as an article of food the seed of it being parched and the bulb roasted this last however should be cooked in hot ashes and then eaten with salt and oil it is beaten up also with figs and forms as hesiod assures us a very delicate dish it is said too that the asphodel planted before the doors of a farmhouse will act as a preservative against the effects of noxious smells homer too makes mention of the asphodel the bulbs of it are like moderately sized turnips and there is no plant the root of which has more of them as many as eighty bulbs being often grouped together theophrastus and nearly all the greek writers with pythagoras at the head of them have given the name of anthericos to its stem which is one cubit and often two in length the leaves being very similar to those of the wild leek it is to the root or in other words the bulbs that they have given the name of asphodel the people of our country call this plant albacus and they give the name of royal spear to the asphodel 
the stem of which bears berries, thus distinguishing two varieties of it. The albucus has a stalk a cubit in length, large, naked, and smooth, in reference to which Mago recommends that it should be cut at the end of March and the beginning of April, the period at which it blossoms, and before the seed has begun to swell. He says, too, that the stalk should be split and exposed on the fourth day in the sun, after which, when dry, they should be made up into bundles. The same author states also that the Greeks give the name of pistana to the aquatic plant known to us as the sagita, and he recommends that it should be stripped of its bark and dried in a mild sun between the Ides of May and the end of October. He says, too, that it is usual to cut down to the root throughout all the months of July the variety of the gladiolus called Kiperos, which is a marsh plant also, and at the end of three days to dry it in the sun until it turns white, but that care must be taken every day to carry it under cover before sunset, the night dews being very injurious to marsh plants when cut. Chapter 69 Six Varieties of the Rush Four Remedies Derived from the Kiperos Mako has likewise given similar recommendations as to the rush known to us as the mariscus, and which is so extensively employed for weaving mats. He says that it should be gathered in the months of June up to the middle of July, and for drying it he gives the same precepts that have been already mentioned in the appropriate place when speaking of sedge. He describes a second kind also, which I find is generally called the marine rush, and is known to the Greeks as the oxyscyonis. Generally speaking, there are three varieties of this last rush, the pointed rush, which is barren, and by the Greeks is called the male rush, and the oxys, the female rush, which bears the black seed and is called the melancranis, thicker and more bushy than the preceding one, and a third kind, called the holosconus, which is larger still. Of these varieties, the melancrania grows separately from the others, but the oxys and holosconus will grow upon the self-same clod. The holosconus is the most useful for all kinds of basket work, being of a particularly supple and fleshy nature. It bears a fruit which resembles eggs attached to one another. The rush again, which we have spoken of as the male rush, is reproduced from itself, the summit of it being bent down into the earth. The melancranis, however, is propagated from seed. Beyond this, the roots of all the varieties of the rush die every year. The rush is in general use for making kips for sea-fishing. The more light and elegant kinds of basket-work, and the wicks of lamps, for which last purpose the pith is more particularly employed. In the vicinity of the maritime alps, the rashes grow to such vast size that when split they measure nearly an inch in diameter, while in Egypt, on the other hand, they are so extremely fine that the people there make sieves of them, for which indeed there can be nothing better. Some authors again distinguish another kind of rush, of a triangular shape, to which they give the name of Kiperos though many persons make no distinction between it and the kipiros, in consequence of the resemblance of the names. For our own part, however, we shall observe the distinction. 
the Kipiros, as we have already stated, is identical with the Gladiolus, a plant with a bulbous root, the most esteemed being those grown in the Isle of Crete, the next best those of Naxos, and the next those of Phoenicia. The Kipiros of Crete is white, with an odor strongly resembling that of nard. The produce of Naxos has a more pungent smell, that of Phoenicia but little odor of any kind, and that of Egypt none at all, for it grows in that country as well. This plant disperses hard tumors of the body, for we shall here begin to speak of the remedies derived from the various flowers and odoriferous plants, they being all of them of very considerable utility in medicine. As to the Kiperos, then, I shall follow Apollodorus, who forbids it to be taken in drink, though at the same time he admits that it is extremely useful for calculi of the bladder, and recommends it in fomentations of the face. He entertains no doubt, however, that it is productive of abortion, and he mentions as a remarkable fact that the barbarians, by inhaling the fumes of this plant at the mouth, thereby diminish the volume of the spleen. They never go out of the house, he says, till they have inhaled these fumes, through the agency of which they daily become stronger and stronger and more robust. He states also that the kipiros, employed as a liniment with oil, is an undoubted remedy for chafing of the skin and offensive odors of the armpits. Chapter 70. The Kiperos. Fourteen Remedies. The Kiperis. The Kipira. The Kiperos, as we have just stated, is a rush of angular shape, white near the ground and black and solid at the top. The lower leaves are more slender than those of the leek, and those at the top are small, with the seed of the plant lying between them. The root resembles a black olive, and when it is of an oblong shape, the plant is known as the kiperis, being employed in medicine to a great extent. The kiperos most highly esteemed is that of the vicinity of the temple of Jupiter Hammon, the next best being that of Rhodes, the next that of Syria, and the most of all that of Egypt, a circumstance which tends greatly to add to the misunderstanding on the subject, as that country produces the kiperos as well. But the kiperos which grows there is extremely hard, and has hardly any smell at all, while all the other varieties of it have an odor strongly resembling that of nard. There is also an Indian plant called the kipira, of a totally different character, and similar to ginger in appearance. When chewed, it has exactly the flavor of saffron. The kiperos, employed medicinally, is possessed of certain depilatory properties. It is used in liniments for hangnails and ulcerous sores of the genitals, and of all parts of the body, which are of a humid nature, ulcers of the mouth, for instance. The root of it is a very efficacious remedy for the stings of serpents and scorpions. Taken in drink, it removes obstructions of the uterus, but if employed in too large doses, it is liable to cause prolapsus of that organ. It acts also as a diuretic, and expels calculi of the bladder, properties which render it extremely useful in dropsy. It is employed typically, also, for serpiginous ulcers, those of the throat more particularly, being usually applied with wine or vinegar. Chapter 71. 
the holoscenus. The root of the rush, boiled down to one-third in three heminae of water, is a cure of for cough. The seed of it, parched and taken in water, arrests looseness of the bowels and the menstrual discharge, though at the same time it causes headache. The name given to this rush is holoscenus. The parts of it nearest the root are chewed, as a cure for the bites of spiders. I find mention made, also, of one other kind of rush, the name of which is Oripis. The seed, they say, is narcotic, but the greatest care is necessary not to throw the patient into a lethargy. End of section 5